Got a call a couple weeks ago from a, a student that was, well, he was a student uh, almost 15, 20 years ago, but he's now a 35-year-old, uh, very successful real estate salesman, uh, big land deals, high rises and stuff. They were having a, uh, he was a student in my former youth group in, in Dallas, and they were having a convention over in Orlando. I guess there's a lot of those over there. And so he calls me up and he says, hey, man, it's only an hour from you. Do you want to have lunch? And he dangled Tex-Mex in front of me, and it was over. I was done. And so one of the restaurants that he and I frequented when we lived in Dallas together uh, has just been put up over there. It's called Uncle Julio's. Highly recommend it. Uh, but uh, we, we landed up, uh, uh, at Uncle Julio's on Wednesday, and it was a great reconnection. Has anybody seen someone after a long time and just been so glad to see him? And you catch up on all the stories. I mean, he's got two little kids, and I was, at the, uh, I was, I was privileged to be the, the officiant at his and his wife's wedding. And so we just talked about all the things that we you know, needed to catch up on. But then what typically happens is we, we started going down memory lane. Who's been down memory lane? Isn't it fun to go down memory lane on people, people you have history with? Just to be able to say, hey, remember the time, remember the time, remember the time? Uh, he was uh, uh, in middle school and high school when I knew him uh, back in the days. Uh, one time he and I got to travel to China uh, as part of a mission trip there. And, uh, and we were staying at this, this one uh, college. And it's a long story. But he, his name's Andrew. And Andrew's a total hack. And uh, so he just loves to do anything to make people laugh. So this one night, this, they were all in this, gathered in this one dorm room at, at, at this university in China, and he, he, he got mad. He played, made, you know, made like he was mad at something one of the girls said, and he, he swung to just kind of tap the window out of anger. You ever done that? Ooh, you know, he's just doing that. Well, his fist hit the window, and the window shattered. It was about an eight-by-eight eight pane of glass on, like, the 13th floor of this Chinese dorm. In, we're, we're in China. Right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, we just defaced government property in China. This is not going to go well. Someone's going to jail, and it's probably me. I forgot to take the offering. The offering is going to start right now. Is everybody cool with that? I was so excited to talk to you. So back to China. So I says to him, I says, hey, man, hopefully nobody goes to jail, and you got to know that you're paying for this. You're going to have to get on, you know, and the internet was, it wasn't really a thing back then, and so we're, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to pay for this, but you're paying for every penny of the replacement price of this pane of glass. And so we go down, and, and the people behind the desk at this dorm don't really speak English, and we don't speak Chinese, and, and so we're trying to piece this thing together, and we've apologized, and they've assured us no one's going to jail, uh, which was great. Uh, God answers prayer, and so... Uh, uh, but then I said, listen, I know it's probably a, a very expensive. Can you just tell us how much, you know, this is going to set my son, you know, my, not my son, my, you know, this kid back. And they started doing calculations, you know, making, making some phone calls and all this stuff. And they, they put a number across the table to me. And uh, it was like, I don't know, three or 4,000 was the number. And I was like, that is an expensive window. And she, and, and she said, no, in, in our currency. And it turned out, I kid you not, it was less than $10 to fix this pane of glass in China. And so that became the big joke. We got on the elevator, like, I'm breaking every window in this place, man. Come on. <laughs> 10 bucks. Let's just go room to room. We're going to have some. Anyway, we, we told those stories and other, I mean, stuff that wouldn't be funny to you, but uh, stuff that was important to us. And then, and then what typically happens in these kind of reconnections with me, especially the spiritual relationships that I have, is that uh, we, we get towards the end of the last basket of chips and salsa and the check's been paid. And things, you know, they, they turn to the, you know, I really appreciate you. you know, we, we, uh, we, we got to talk to each other as Christian brothers. You know, he was my student, I was his youth pastor, but now he's grown up and I'm grown upper. 
And uh, we just got to say, you know, isn't it great that God gave us that stretch together? I mean, certainly I pray that I benefited him as his leader, but I know that I benefited from him as my student, you know, the kid that uh, showed me you know, how to live you know, this life for Christ. His, his story from there forward is just a testimony to the goodness of God. And we just kind of had this, you know, this walking back to our vehicles, just this moment to be able to share and reflect on those things. And it occurred to me that if I had anything to give to Andrew, it had been given to me by God through other people, through my experiences, through my training. In fact, if, if I've ever been able to benefit you as your pastor, it's, it's not because of anything that's super great about me. It's just that God has given me experiences. I've recalled them, things that I've learned, things that I've done, and I've shared them with you. Many of you I've shared ministry with. and We've both drawn from those times as uh, we've moved forward in this grace that God's given us in life with him. Today we're talking about a memorable life. A memorable life. And here's what I've come to understand about a memorable life. A memorable life, it's going to come right up here on the screen in just a second. A memorable life is basically uh, marked by, well, if you want to live a memorable life, it requires you living a life with a good memory. You want to live a memorable life? Remember the important stuff and pass it on. The things that people will remember you for. Ever been to a funeral? People get up and talk about what? I remember the time when he said this, he showed me this, she was this in this time of need. You want to live a memorable life? Remember well. And then choose to live the things that you've been given. That's what this whole series is about. I'm not trying to trick anything up in this series. We're just going through the book of the, or our book, the Bible, and we're just trying to discover the, the reminders that are already there. They're present. In fact, uh, many of the uh, the books of the Old Testament end with farewell speeches. We're going to look at Joshua's here in the book of Joshua today. But the book of Genesis ends with a farewell from Jacob. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy ends with Moses saying goodbye. Samuel has uh, a farewell in 1 Samuel. You even go to the New Testament. You got Jesus uh, through all four of the Gospels having several farewell speeches as he was preparing for his death and his resurrection. Uh, probably his most famous is right before his ascension. He goes to his disciples in Matthew 28, and he says, hey, guys, one last time, go and make disciples. It's in these farewell speeches, these reminders that we have much of our doctrine, much of our faith, and we're just going to try to walk through them, learn from them again. Today, we're going to be at Joshua, and we're going to watch as he passes on one more time to the leader's of Israel and to the Israelites as a whole, uh, what wisdom is in this life, in this promised land that they've been given. Uh, and we're going to learn from it, I pray. Uh, we're going to learn the things that are important for us to remember as well. Let's start here in Joshua tw chapter 23, verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all the surrounding enemies. I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but here's basically the, uh, the short story of what's going on up to this point. Um, God basically appoints a guy named Abraham. He has lots of descendants. Uh, you get to the end of Genesis, and those descendants are, are numbered in the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, Jacob and Israel, same guy. Uh, one of them is a guy named Joseph. He gets shipped off to Egypt, and uh, basically a huge famine happens, and Joseph rescues his family uh, from where they were living in a place called Canaan and brings them all to Egypt. Fast forward about 400 years, the descendants of the sons of Jacob have just 
multiplied upon multiplied. The Egyptians are getting nervous because there's so many Israelites uh, that they're fearful that the Israelites might rise up and overcome the nation of Egypt. So they make them the slave force of Egypt. And they treat them poorly. And One of their sons, a guy named Moses, he gets thrown in a basket. Long story, read it. Uh, but uh, he ends up basically uh, on the lamb. And God comes to him in a burning bush and says, Mo, it's time for my people to be taken from Egypt. It's time for them to head to the promised land that I promised their forefather Abraham. You're going to be the guy that gets them out. And again, fast forwarding through quite a bit, that's exactly what happens. Moses and, and, and some of his fellow leaders uh, blew it. Blew it to the point that they were uh, prohibited from entering this promised land. For 40 years, the children of Israel kind of around the wilderness until finally it comes time for Moses to pass on. And it's only after Moses' death Jesus says, all right, Israel, you can go take your land. He uses a guy named Joshua. He was the general, the president, whatever you want to call him, the leader of Israel. And you read the book of Joshua. It's one of my favorites when the sermons will get slow. There's all kinds of fight scenes in Joshua. And, uh, and, and you read the book of Joshua, and it's the story of the conquest of the promised land by Israel. Well, now we have come. Everybody get the synopsis there? We've come to the time when Joshua's about to die. There's been rest in the land. Uh, the enemies that were there have been subdued or completely wiped out. It says that Joshua was old and well advanced in years. He summoned then all of Israel, its elders, verse 2, and its heads, its uh, judges, and its officers. Uh, kind of picture this like mass, kind of like you know an inauguration crowd, but even bigger. Uh, all of Israel, representatives at least of all the tribes, are present, and, and, and the lesser lands are kind of, no, no offense to them, but the, the, the less importance are in the back, kind of a mask around Joshua, and in the front, you got all of the government officials, judges, officers, elders, and heads, and, uh, and then Joshua stands up. He's about 110 years old, no microphone. That must have had a boomer of a voice. He says, I am now old, and I'm well advanced in years. And then he begins to speak. And he gives them three principal things that they need to remember. If they are to persist here in the promised land, if they are to continue in this vein that God has started them in, there's three things that they need to remember. He starts in verse three with the first one. They need to remember what God has done for them. And you and I, if we're gonna live this life for God that he's called us to live, we have to have great memories of all the incredible ways that God has blessed us. Joshua says to Israel, he says, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done. Remember? You have seen all that who? The Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Over and over again in the book of, the, of Joshua, when a, a, a battle would be wrapped up, that's how Joshua would kind of commemorate the victory. He would say, look what the Lord has done. The Lord God has gone before us and given us victory. And he says to all of Israel that day, at the beginning of his speech, hey guys, remember? Remember all the ways that we overcame? I mean, against insurmountable odds, God came and made a way. Some members of the crowd were older than others. Like it took about 40, maybe 50 years for the conquest to actually be finished. So certain members uh, of Israel weren't even around at the beginning. So maybe some old guy stands up in the corner and he says, Josh, tell him about the time that the Jordan stopped. 
And he's referred in chapter three. I mean, one of the first things that happened in the conquest of the promised land is that all of these two million Jews had to cross the Jordan. No bridges, no boats. And they got to go across this huge river. And they're standing there and they're just waiting. And they remembered the Red Sea. God's great at stopping water. He's great at kind of pushing water aside. And sure enough, you read chapter 3. If this gets slow, I invite you, read chapter 3. Because it tells us that the water's backed all the way up, upriver to the point that the bed of the Jordan was dry and the entire nation of Israel crossed. Maybe another guy was in the back and he says, Jericho! Maybe poor people had heard that story because that, that's a humdinger, right? Remember Jericho? It's one of the first cities that had to fall if they were going to be able to press on through the promised land. Jericho had these Mac Daddy walls. I mean, they were, they were serious. And they just weren't coming. And so Jericho was just content to sit inside and just laugh at the armies of Israel because they couldn't get to them. So Joshua gets all the leaders together and he says, here's the plan. We're going to walk. <laughs> so they walked around Jericho the first day. They wake up the next day, same plan, does it for six days, and on the seventh day, he switches it up. Who remembers? Seven times today, y'all. Hope you got your Fitbits on. You're going to get a lot of steps. Seven times in the hot sun of a desert land, this army traipsed around the walls of Jericho. You think maybe on, you know, third or fourth lap, everybody's going, seriously, Josh? This is the plan. He said, no, keep going. Just keep going. You're going to love it. And seven priests were out in front of the, or the armies of Israel, and they had seven horns, and they got through the seventh trip around, and the Bible tells us that Joshua instructed those priests to blow the horn. And when the priests blow the horn, all of the armies of Israel were told to yell. And I'm sure a lot of them had some pent-up stuff. So they yelled pretty loud, and the, the Bible says that upon the blast of those horns and the cries of the army of Israel, the walls came down. The only one spared was a lady named Rahab. She had been instrumental in the conquest. Now, I mean, those are just two of the stories. Two of the ways that Israel had been blessed beyond measure by a God who went before them and fought on their behalf. Verse 4, he says this, he says, Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain. There was some members of the tribes of Canaan, which is what the land was called before it became Israel, uh, that were permitted to stay. Uh, but uh, he says, listen, I, I've given you as an inheritance those tribes and their territories, along with all those nations that I have already cut off. There were certain tribes that were just completely wiped out. But victory after victory after victory, Joshua says, God gave us this. God, through me and my leadership, gave you all that you see. The, the lands from the Jordan uh, in the uh, east to the great sea in the west. Maybe he paused for effect here. Because, you know, 40, 50 years ago, this ragtag bunch of slaves uh, had stood on the, uh, the borders of the country that was now theirs and begun this conquest. And those who had been probably just took a step back and said, wow. There's very, uh, this is what I've noticed about life. There's very few wow moments. There's lots of wow things because uh, uh, life is full of God's blessings. Did you know that? 
But most of them we don't notice because we just take them for granted. And every once in a while something happens and we're like, wow, like you were in that car accident and you should have died, but you didn't. And everybody got out unscathed and you stood there on the side of the road and you looked at the wreck that is your car and you're just like, wow. Or you stand uh, in the room like I did as your first child is being born. And, you know, the, the joy and the, the, the angst and the terror <laughs> that are all a part of that culminate in this little lizard coming out and being laid in the fishbowl that's been cut off and put under the heat lamp. And you're just standing there. And I, I still remember this, all three of my kids, but especially the first one. I just stood there and I was like, wow, that is part me and part her. And it's coming home. And life changed that day. I remember standing at the end of an aisle and watching my bride come down that, uh, that space. Just being like, wow, I can't believe she said yes. Now, there's, there's moments like that, but I think there should be more. I, I think we should really take more time to be in awe of all that God has done. Remember, that was one of the, the characteristics of the early church. They were all in awe. And I don't think the church was ever meant to lose their awe. I think we just get used to stuff and take it for granted. So if we're going to live this life that God wants for us this year and any year, it's got to start with a good memory. We've got to remember all that he has done for us. We need to Remember what he's done for us. Remember what he's done for you. We need to remember what he's done to us. You gotta remember what he's done to you. I can, you, you didn't know me then, but I, I was 19 years old when Jesus finally came online in my life. I'd grown up in the church, like many of you are, uh, growing up in the church. I was kind of around the conversation. I had the accent down, right? But I wasn't really uh, surrendered to my Savior in any meaningful way. When I was 19 years old, a whole bunch of uh, circumstances came about to where uh, my eyes were open, the veil was lifted, and I got to know my Savior for real for the first time. And I am quantifiably different from the 19-year-old kid that didn't care about God uh, to the much older man who is uh, dedicating his life as best he can to honor him. Not perfectly, but I can tell you right now, way different now than I was then. Have you paused lately to just remember what God has done to you, the grace that he has shown you and making you uh, more like himself and less like you were? We need to remember what God has done for us. We remember to, need to remember what God has done to us. We, mean, we need to remember what God has done through us. You know, uh, every one of us in here has been used of God for his purposes in some way to make a difference in another person's life. Some of you are like, oh, I haven't. I mean, no, you have. Even if it was just a kindness shown. God has used, and that's his purpose. Is he created us so that we could love him and love each other and provide for each other. And that's a, a blessing on a blessing. You and I, when we serve each other, we are blessed to be able to serve those people, and those people hopefully are, are blessed in, in the process. But, but the blessing that comes to us from, from just knowing that God used us, that we were a tool, a vessel, for his grace. Here's what I want you to do this week, if you'll uh, uh, join me. I want you to take a piece of paper, or if, if you're way past paper and you don't want to kill trees, uh, open a file, okay? 
And I want you to spend some time going through those three questions. What, has, what, what do I need to remember that God has done for me in my life? What are the things that I can point back to and see, God did this, God did this. What are the things, uh, start another section, what are the things that God has done to me? How has he altered my life since I've known him? And then start another section. What are the things that God has done through me? Just that exercise alone, I think, will set your eyes upon your Savior Savior, in new ways. It's that memory that points us to what's next. Joshua tells Israel, hey, remember what God's done for you. And then he says, remember God's promises to you. Look what it says in Joshua 23, verse 5. It says, the Lord your God will. He goes future tense here. The Lord your God will continue to push them back before you and drive these nations that you have already defeated, but will try to come back on you. He will continue to push them back and to drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God has what? He's promised you. Yeah. See, God has this plan. Anybody heard that? God has a plan for your life, right? Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, right? God has this plan. He's, he knows the future. You and I don't, but he does. He has this preferred future for every one of us. And he is fully prepared to grant us his plan. Joshua reminds Israel of that. You have what you have by God's grace. Remember what he's done for you. But you will continue to have what you have because of God's promise. The Bible's full of God's promises to us, right? He'll never leave us or, right? The Bible tells us that if God is for us, who can be, right? I mean, there's all kinds of great promises of, of his presence and of his defense, of his reliability. He doesn't take breaks. His love. It's described in the New Testament as agape love. It's unconditional. It's without fail. It's, un, it's unrelenting in its nature. These are the promises of God. Let them be uh, your encouragement with every day. That you wake up. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that we wake up to mercies that are new every morning. Isn't that true? Like, I don't know if you're just naturally an optimistic person. I tend towards cynicism. I live in America. Are you with me? Right? Uh, but, but what I'm learning this year is that, that that's probably not the default setting of the Christ life. Cynical, it's not what we were given. Hope, we got buckets of that. And we wake up every morning to opportunity in our Savior. And this isn't a blab it and grab it, name it and claim it, prosperity gospel thing. This is just theology. This is just truth. We have a God who is for us and not against us. We have a God who has a plan. His plan might include some hardships so that we can learn some things we wouldn't learn otherwise. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy. But God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. It's true. It's not just coffee cup sayings. It's true. And so when you wake up every morning, don't wake up discouraged. You are a, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a child of the king, prince or princess. And that comes with benefits, with opportunities, with mercies that are new every morning. But let me give you the catch, if there is one. Because Joshua goes on in his speech. He says, remember what God's done for you. Remember his promises to you. But then he says, remember that you have a part in his promises. 
let me, let me throw something out to you. There's all kinds of things in, in theology or in God's character that are unrelated to us. They're, they're not tied to us or any conditions. Uh, they're just given to us. Grace, it's available to every one of us. Everybody agree? It's by grace that we are saved through faith, and it's not out of, about our works. It's not about ourselves, so that none of us can boast who's grateful that grace doesn't come with any conditions. It's good, right? God's love? Oh, we have conditional love, don't we? Some of you were not loving the person in front of you on the way to uh, church this morning because they were driving poorly. Uh, some of you have that person at work that you intentionally avoid. When they get off uh, you know, or get inside the doors, you go that way because they make you crazy. Now, we, we struggle because we're human uh, with putting conditions on our love, but God's love for us spiked at 11. There is no waning, no ebbing in his flow. There is... There is just constant love for us. There's certainly all kinds of things that ours are ours from God without condition. <laughs> but can I tell you that blessing is not one of them? Like God's love is unconditional. God's grace is unconditional. But his blessing, uh, us receiving what he has promised, uh, a lot of those things aren't. Usually, now I, I, I got to be careful because I don't want to make it, you know, karma. We we don't do karma. But we do live, as the scripture teaches, uh, by a, a sow and a reap principle. God says, Here, here's what I have for you. Just like we talked about last week with making good choices, like with our kids. Here's your opportunity, son. You're, you're five years old and we're trying to clean up the toy room. If you clean up the toy room, ice cream sandwiches. Woo, right? But if you don't clean up the toy room, go into bed early tonight and the rest of the week. Boo. But you choose. You choose. God's given us a choice. And depending on our choice, his blessings either unfurl or sometimes uh, the consequences for those choices are ours, right? We need to remember that our choices matter. Usually, now I put usually in there because has anybody made really bad choices and God still blessed you anyway? If your hand isn't up right now, I want to inform you that as part of the human race, that is entirely true about you, okay? None of us has gotten exactly what we deserve from a holy God. And should we all be grateful for that? Anybody with me? Okay, so God usually, the sorry principle applies, but thankfully, you and I have been loved by God so much that every once in a while, we do stupid stuff and he still gives us things anyway. Isn't that great? Joshua's going to finish by just saying, okay, here's the, here's the parts of, of the promise that you need to keep, Israel. And, and, and they're parts of our promise. They're parts of the things that we need to understand are on us to choose, by, with the help of God and by the grace of God, to choose to honor God so that his promises, his blessings can be ours. It's going to sound familiar if you're familiar with the story of Joshua. He gets here to verse, 20, or verse 6 of chapter 23, and he says this, therefore, be very strong. Where have we heard this before? If you've read the book, uh, Joshua chapter 1 starts with Joshua kind of having a one-on-one -on -one with God, and God says to Joshua, okay, Joe, uh, yeah, Joe, Joshua, uh, Moses is dead. So here's the deal. We're going into the land, and you're going to be at the lead. So here's what I'm going to need from you. I'm going to need you to be strong and what? Courageous. And then he, he, he goes on. 
and he explains what strength and courage is going to entail. And he, he tells Joe, or Joshua, he's, why do you keep saying Joe? He says, Joshua, you've you got to be in the word. You've got to keep all of the law, all the things that I've told you. You've got to remember those things and keep them in play. It's going to be crucial for your success in the conquest of the land. It's interesting that he says here right off the bat, be very strong as he's finishing his life, some 50 years later. Be very strong and keep uh, and, and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Uh, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. Straight path. Understand what God has you know, ordained for you as, as what is good in life. Know it and choose it. That's where the Christians make the, the departure a lot of times. Lots of Christians know it. I get up here every week and talk a little bit more about the things that are God's will from, for our lives from his word. Is that what happens pretty much in this exchange, right? But then all of us, including the pastor who preaches it, have the choice to take what we know and apply it to our lives. Oh, that I would just do what I preach. But it's, it's those two things. It's knowing it and doing it. And that's what Joshua says to Israel. Hey, man, be strong. Let your strength be marked by your knowledge of God's will through the law and by your willingness to accomplish. Turn neither to the right nor to the left. When I was growing up in Maine and learning to drive in Maine, like right now, I think there's a lot of snow on the ground where I used to live in northern Maine. Anybody grow up in snow? You get like south of you know, certain places and as soon as like there's the threat of snow, like the whole place shuts down. Because if you haven't driven in snow, it's dangerous, Right? But where I grew up, snow was, I mean, it was eight months of the year. You were just, you got to learn how to deal with that. Uh, donuts were fun, just so you know, if you could, you know, find a big enough space. That, that was great. Uh, but some nights, I would go to a basketball practice in high school, and it would start snowing maybe during the day. I would go to a basketball practice like four or five o'clock. We'd be there for a couple hours, maybe three after we showered. And we'd come out, and there would be, I kid you not, two, three feet of snow on the grounds, on the roads. Here's how it works, if you, if you don't know. Uh, especially in sparsely populated areas like where I grew up, they do the highways first. All the plows go there. All the salt trucks go there. And so if you live in a town like I did, you know, hopefully you have a plow in the front of your truck, but otherwise, just try to stay on the road. And so we used to have this thing, this is what we were taught, take your half out of the middle. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? You, you would try to, listen, if the, even as the, the snows would cover things and the ice would, you know, freeze up over, you, you would try to find the, the, the center line of a road. And then you would put your car on the middle of that line. And you would stay, that would be your only guide. You can't tell where the ditches are because the snow has covered everything and made it all one level. You don't know where the side of the road is. You can't see it. So you keep that sucker right on the middle of that yellow line until somebody comes and then bo everybody prays right? And you both slowly go past each other as close as you can to each other. And then as soon as you're past, right, both of you, I mean, you can look back in your rearview mirror. He's doing the same thing. And why do you do that? Because there's ditches over there. And you don't want to slide into those ditches. That's essentially what Joshua was saying. Avoid the ditches. Go neither left nor right. I've talked about what those ditches can be in our lives. Uh, they can be uh, legalism, like if we're talking just theology sometimes, we can become pompous, pious, all puffed up in what we know about God and, 
and, and make a whole bunch of rules on top of the rules that Scripture actually has and become legalistic. Uh, in our context, that may not be as huge a deal. We're certainly going to be more prone in a, in a freer, grace-based uh, culture like ours to go into the other ditch, which is license, and just say, hey, man, free for all, grace will cover it. God forgives. I can do whatever I want. But neither of those are good for us. Neither of those are what the word teaches. We want to stay on the yellow line, centered on the things that God says. Are you strong in your knowledge and your obedience of God's word? You know, that's why we do all the stuff that we do here. We're not just trying to make you busy. We're hopefully teaching people as we disciple them one-on-one -on -one, or as you're parts of life groups or if you're part of men's ministry or women's ministry, if you're serving in, in other ministries, if you're, if you're a part of things here at the church, it's so that we can know God and his word better and we can help each other stick to it, stay on the yellow line. Joshua goes on and he, he, he implores them to be strong in avoiding the wrong. Reading verse six again. Be strong in avoiding the wrong. It'll go up there in just a second. Be strong in avoiding the wrong. Yeah, read, read verse six with me again. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. And he says in verse seven, that you may not mix with these nations remaining under you, or remaining among you, and you may make mention, or make, excuse me, and you may not make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. Two things here. He says, listen, man, I want you to know the word of God so that you, don't swerve, no ditches. And I want you to know the word of God so, so that you don't blend. <laughs> Let's talk about blending. You know, we live in an intolerant, tolerant world. We, the world, the culture that we live in likes to think of itself as very tolerant. We want to accept everybody. But just so you know, uh, because we don't accept what the world accepts, they don't accept us. Is everybody with me on that? We're the weird ones now. We used to kind of, you know, uh, have, have a greater say or a greater place in culture uh, but culture is moving past the traditional Judeo-Christian ethic. And so here's going to be the temptation. It already is. It already, already has been. Like when I went to high school and, 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 and you know, just went from my church to, to my school, there, there was a, a, a huge temptation, and I succumbed to it most of the time, to just fit in, to just blend, to not stick out for my faith, to not even talk about my faith. Let's not make it a thing. But there's going to be a greater push in the years to come, for the church to blend. And Joshua here and in many other places in Scripture, it says, no, don't, don't blend. Don't mix. It says here, don't mix with the nations that remain. Don't mix with them and their, their cultures and their ways and their ideas and their gods. Just stay away from them. Don't blend. And then don't bend. He says, listen, don't uh, make vows in, in, in the names of their gods or swear by them. Uh, don't uh, serve them, certainly, or bow down to them. Just avoid anything that could pull you away from the one true God, from the yellow line of the book of the law. You know, back in those days, uh, it was just as it is today, like the coexist stickers, there's all kinds of religions that you could choose from in Canaan back in those days. And so people would bring their religions like into places of business. If you wanted to make a deal, instead of like signing contracts like we do today, you know, or, or sliding your card and signing the, you know, the, the, the digital pad, you would, you know, and even be all, you know, spitting and shaking, they would basically swear in the name of their deities. Uh, Baal worship was huge in Canaan at the time. And so someone who was a Baal worshiper would come to you and say, yeah, I'll, I'll buy your rake. Uh, I swear by it in the name of Baal. And then, I don't know, shook hands or maybe did a dance. I don't know. But it would be easy for Israelites to not want to stick out to say, yeah, that's fine. We'll swear in the name of Baal. And all of a sudden, the doors opened up. 
It goes from swearing in the name of Baal to, to all of a sudden you're showing up at, at Baal services and all of a sudden you're bowing down to Baal. It's like what it says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Remember what it says there? In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Here's how it works, this, this bending and blending. It's subtle. We're walking along down the yellow line of God's purpose for our lives and all of a sudden something distracts us and we slow down. Or we start walking with those uh, who differ from us in our opinions. It's like going to college out of a Christian you know, church, heading off to college and being taught that God isn't real and all the things that they you know, propound or purport there in, in our you know, schools these days. Well, you start hanging out with them and you start, start thinking, yeah, maybe God isn't real. And, and you kind of just stand in the midst of all the other ideas. And eventually you're around them for so long, like some of our kids, that you just kind of sit down the seat of a scoffer. And what the psalmist is teaching, what Joshua is teaching, hey man, don't blend, don't bend, don't turn to the right or the left and start walking with people who are gonna lead you away from the truth. Certainly don't stand around with them and never sit down with them. Don't become one of them. Continue on. Like it says in verse two of Psalm one, it says, your delight should be in the law of the Lord and on his laws we should meditate day and night. The last thing that Joshua wants to tell us and the last thing I want to tell you is that we need to remember to be strong and holding on to God. In chapter 23 of Joshua, verse 8, it says this. It says, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. If you don't hear anything else I say today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, just remember this one Hebrew word. Everybody ready? Dabak. Everybody say dabak. It's the word cling. It's the same word that's used in the, in the text in Genesis chapter 2 where it says, uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall dabak to his wife. He'll cling to his wife and the two shall become one. This word, I love preaching it when I do mar marriage ceremonies because it, it means bear hug. It literally means to grab onto and hang onto for dear life. Like hanging onto a palm tree in a hurricane. It is just, you, the, the husband and the wife, and in this context, uh, Israel and God and us and God, we just need to mm, hang on. But I, I did a further word study this week in, in Hebrew, and you know what else debak means? It means no gaps. No gaps. So like, uh, if you're like me and you get a, an old trailer for a, a gift for your wife for her birthday and uh, there's all these vents on the top of it that have been under a roof for many years and, and now you gotta seal those vents up because it still rains in Florida and you, and you think you got all the vents except there's this one spot where there's this huge bunch of tar and there's this one vent that's covered by the tar but not so covered by the tar that it doesn't leak so that now you have water in the roof of the, of the okay, are you following me? I didn't get all of them. And it's in that one gap. I covered everything else but it's in that one gap that water seeped into this trailer that I now have to repair. Where's your gap in your relationship with God? What environment do you kind of open yourself up to the world and what it wants for you? Maybe it's work, maybe it's school, maybe it's some relationship when you're around this person, it's like God goes out the window and you become old you. But here's what Joshua told Israel, no gaps. Debak, cling to me. In all situations, in all environments, hold fast to what you know to be true. And so that's my challenge for us this year. To live every day waking up to 
the awe of our God, remembering what he's done for us, what he's done to us, what he's done through us, remembering his promises to us, but remembering that we have a part in those promises. It's our part to remember what God's will is and to stay on it, no swerving left or right in the ditches. It's our part to avoid the things of this culture that would pull us away from the truth. It's our part to hold fast to the one true God. It's his will for our life. It's the keys to his blessing. It's my hope for our church. It's my prayer for myself. And it'll be my prayer for you right now. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word and to be reminded uh, in this way by Joshua and his speech of what matters. What matters is remembering all that you've done for us and being mindful of your promises, but then remembering what it takes, God, in our relationship with you to uh, to see your, uh, your blessings unleashed in our lives. Thank you for the blessings that we don't deserve. There's, there's, there's too many to count. You bless us anyway. Everyone in here is a recipient, recipient of your grace in that regard. But Lord, there are so many things that I think if we would just, in, in some ways, cling tighter, know more, and, and choose better, um, if we could just avoid the things, God, that would lead us away from you, uh, you would bring even more into our lives, and even more blessings even more opportunity to serve you and honor you and glorify your name. So that's my prayer for us as a church this year. This is going to be our best year ever because we're going to take you even more seriously than we have. We're going to be even more open to your leading. We're going to be even more uh, careful to hold on to you and to let go of everything else. Help us, God, in that regard. Help me as the pastor of this place to set the example on that, Lord. Lead me deeper into my life with you and lead us all into a life that glorifies you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen, church. God bless you. Go with him. I'll see you later.